0: Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. As I'm speaking to you today, not only has the year 2021 given way to the brand new year of 2022, on the Christian calendar, the Christmas season is just about to become the season of Epiphany. Epiphany, a time for celebrating the light that has come into the world in Jesus Christ. That's the subject of today's message, which is entitled Epiphanies, and it's based on Isaiah 60 verses 1 through 6 and Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12, and it begins with a story of one of my own times of Epiphany. It was Frederick Buechner, theologian, author, and longtime New Englander, who said this. And the words have always resonated with me. Morning, he wrote, is a time for epiphanies, a time to see visions and to hear voices. And in between time, between darkness and the dawning of light, And not just sunlight, mind you, but also God's light. Shining on a new day as with light of the first morning. Creation's dawn. Opening up an infinite array of possibilities and revealing all that is real and true and good about our lives. I absolutely love that quote from Buechner. And and the thing is, I know a little bit about what it means. I remember one such morning, one such time for epiphanies, just after my oldest son, Jake, was born. See, I was doing the new daddy thing in trying to rock him back to sleep in the wee hours of the morning, just barely twilight. And, of course, Jake was resisting the effort. But you know what? That didn't matter. Because there we were, just my son and me, watching the morning sun pour into the room through the shutters on the windows where we were rocking. With the only sounds to be heard was the ticking clock on the wall and the first very tentative chirping of birds on the outside. It has been 34 years, but I still Remember every little bit of it. My utter amazement in this miracle that had come into our lives. The palpable sense of God's presence in that moment that had warmed me to the very heart of my being. And and how I was suddenly awakened, both literally and figuratively, to this profoundly good realization that my life had changed forever simply by virtue of this tiny child. As the sun rose early on that May morning, light had come into my world, revealing something heretofore unexpected and unimagined and and setting me forth uh, along a brand new pathway, a pathway that I'm still on to this very day. That moment, you see, had truly been An epiphany. Well, it's also like to provide the central image for the day and the season of epiphany, which begins actually this coming Thursday. On the Christian calendar, the day of epiphany also is the 12th day of Christmas. And we mark that occasion not with 12 drummers drumming, although that would be kind of fun but rather we observe it with the light that heralded the Christmas gospel. Yes, in the light of that star that drew three magi across hard desert terrain, following a star that they could pay homage to a child that had been born king of the Jews. But moreover, in a light of God, the light of God that shone forth in Christ A light that has revealed to all of humanity its need for reconciliation with the divine. On Christmas, you see, we tell the story of how a child was born. On Epiphany, we tell the story of how that child changes us and changes the world. Or as John Westerhoff has explained it, on Christmas we celebrate God's coming to us. On Epiphany, we celebrate our going to God. So basically, friends, Epiphany, the day and the experience, comes down to this. We've been given this gift of light in the Christ child. And it's a gift freely given of God that illumines our very lives. But, Friends, here's the thing. It is a gift that elicits a response. And now that Christmas and our time at the manger is past the question becomes what are we going to do with this gift because friends the light that has come challenges us to live and to walk in its illumination it's interesting to note that the prophecy we heard from isaiah this morning the one that kay read to us that prophecy is of light shining in darkness that shall cover the earth, that thick darkness that covers the people. Historically, and this is very interesting, this this passage was addressed to the people of Israel, who after years of exile in Babylon, were just about to return home to the ruins of Jerusalem. You remember, all through Advent actually, we have alluded to that exile about God's people being far away from their home and their culture and their faith and waiting, waiting and waiting for generations to be able to return home. Well, now it was happening. They were going back to Jerusalem, which was in ruins, but it was home. And as such, It was a strange place where nothing was as they remembered it. Or in any way was it ever how it used to be. So the homecoming of God's people was at the very least a mixed blessing. With the prospect of rebuilding their lives pretty much dark and foreboding. But it's precisely into this thick darkness you see that light comes. The Lord will arise upon you, says Isaiah, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This is the promise of radiance, friends. It's the kind of illumination that makes the heart thrill and rejoice It's the kind of light that brings families back together, that restores livelihoods, that helps you to regain wealth and life to be returned. This was, very simply but gloriously put, the messianic hope that found its fulfillment in the Christ. And did you notice, by the way, what the very first instruction given to the people is in the face of that kind of radiance? It's the very first line of our reading today. It's what we sang at the first of the service. It's to arise. Arise, shine. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. If you want another translation for that, and I can give you one without referencing scripture, I can tell you what it means. It means get up. Wake up. Drag yourself out of the bed of your despair and do something about this light that has come shining into your world. Get up. You know, it's no accident that the Hebrew words that are translated here as light are related also to the words in Hebrew that translate to life and salvation and joy just as it's also no accident that the word for darkness is related to the words of death. The glory of the Lord, then, represents the light of life, an epiphany given unto God's people Israel and through Christ, a light that shines unto you and to me. But the question is, Will we, as we used to sing in Sunday school, rise and shine and give God the glory glory? It's not just glory, it's glory glory. That's the challenge before us, friends. Do we walk in the light, or are we going to continue to dwell in that deep darkness? It's a valid question, friends, because actually... There are those who prefer the darkness to the light. You know, as I turned one more time this week to Matthew, the story of Christmas, and specifically the story of the three wise men, it occurred to me that throughout the story of the Nativity that all of the characters who fill out this narrative, there's only one character whose life isn't profoundly changed by the birth of this child in the manger. And the one for whom nothing changes is Herod. From Mary and Joseph, certainly, and the shepherds abiding in the field on the night of his birth, to others uh, such as old Simeon and the elderly prophet Anna, who met that holy family at the Temple of Jerusalem that we talked about last Sunday, all of them, and others besides, they were truly illumined by the light of that child. They, perhaps they didn't fully understand. Perhaps they couldn't begin to wrap their mind about what they had experienced. But the light was shining, and they felt it, and they experienced it, and it changed them. But King Herod, that's a different story. There was no light of the world for him. Just another star in the sky. New, no newborn king, but rather a child that he suspected would be a, an affront to his power and rule. One little fun fact here. The name Herod isn't exactly a name. It's more of a title. There are Actually, if you read through the gospel story, there are several Herods. There, there is one at uh, Jesus' birth, and of course there is one... Uh, famously on the the night of of passion and desertion. But this particular Herod, you see, when he hears of this child, we are told that he is frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And that's because this Herod could not even begin to conceive that this was royalty of another kind. He could only assume that this new king would be as cruel, as despotic, and as bloodthirsty as himself. Thus, this child was a threat that had to be immediately destroyed. So that's why, in and through the familiar story of the Magi and their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, there's also this creeping darkness that is even at that moment seeking to overcome the light. And and, and and indeed, historically, we talked a little bit about this last Sunday, historically, we know that not only did Herod seek to use the Magi in an effort to get to the child himself, so to destroy him, but then he later, having failed at that, ordered the slaughter of all the young children in and around Bethlehem to assure that that job got done, and that his power would be secure. It doesn't work, of course. As Fred Craddock has written, the good news here is that these events are all providentially guided and that Jesus' life is not only divinely begun, but it is announced with extraordinary signs and is preserved providentially from the threats of a jealous tyrant. By God's grace and intent, you see, Herod does not succeed in the words of John's gospel. Because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. We're left here with the hard knowledge that not only will there always be a threat of darkness in the world, there will always be Herods in the world who prefer to dwell there and want everybody else to as well. Because friends, make no mistake about this, in every generation, and even now, King Herod lives. There are those in this life who don't get or understand or accept this epiphany of light that God brings into the world. By their words and their actions, they seek to reject it and cast it out. Now, they may well be the so-called agents of terror of every stripe, whose extremist view of religion and politics and culture will lead them to heinous and horrific ways of life. Ways of life that they seek to spread to others by their example. But here's the thing, it's not just that large a thing. These might simply be the people we know who have become so angry, so embittered over the darkness of the world and darkness that settles over human life that they can't or won't see any light to begin with. They are unable to perceive the profound radical realities of love and grace and forgiveness, which the light of Christ reveals as Anything other than some sentimental ideal. But this is the nature of this light that has come into the world. This is the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that pierces the darkness. Somewhere in her collection of poetry, the late Anne Weems wrote that Jesus was into life and into life in such a way that you either had to follow him or resent his efforts to bring change. You see, that's the thing about brilliant light. It illumines all. It it shows us all. And it will inevitably bring change to everything we know and assume to be true. Light shows things as they are. Light shows things as they can be. Light shows things as they will be by the God of promise and love. The thing is that this light comes into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. Who is no less than the light of God's own glory. And because that light has come into the world, it cannot help but change us change us as persons, change us as a people, changes us as a church. And so what comes to us in the midst of such an epiphany is always that question of how we'll respond in the face of what that light reveals. How will we change? Where will we go? Where will this now well-lit pathway take us? as God's people. Seems to me that's a pretty good thing to reflect upon as we come to the Lord's table this morning, as we feast on the bread and drink from the cup, as we feel the presence of our Lord amongst us. Perchance, as we do, to find in the broken bread and the shared cup of blessing an inspiration to rise and shine in the glory of Christ's light so that we might truly live and walk upon that new pathway, that we might seek God's blessing along every step, and that we might live as disciples of Jesus Christ, as people of the light, as people who embrace epiphanies, Thanks be to God, dear friends, and amen, and amen. And that's the message entitled Epiphanies. It was recorded during our January second, 2022 service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire. And since it is a brand new year, we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to one of our live, in-person services of worship in 2022. They happen every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road in Concord. Or else, you can join us for these services live online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Either way, we would love to have you be with us. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening. And until next time, stay safe, be well, happy new year. And may God bless you in 2022 with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.